The word was first, the word present to God, God present to the word. The word was God, in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing, came into being without him. What came into existence was life, and life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world, and the world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, and they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed, and would do what he said. He made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. There are the God begotten, not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten. There once was a man, his name was John sent by God to point out the way to the life light. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes and the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Amen. You may have a seat. Kiddos, if you want to come on down. And while you're coming down, before you go, I'm going to pray for us all, if that's cool. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the life, light, the Word, who in Him was light, and that light was the life of men. We thank you, Father, that through that light, we've been adopted and called sons and daughters of you, our gracious God creator of all things, sustainer of all things. We're so grateful that we are sons and daughters, and we pray, Lord, that we would continue to walk in that light, that we may be our true selves, our child of God's selves, our true selves who are known by you, loved by you, and who are a light to the world. So please bless these young ones as they go. We pray that they would grow more and more in knowledge of who you are, and that you would shine that light into their hearts, that they would know you, follow you, and love you. We ask that you would bless their time and bless ours in here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hello again. I meant to tell you earlier that uh, Robin Craddock, who was in Kenya, made it back last week, and uh, evidently she had a good time there. And so now uh, I want to say thank you for all those who prayed for her and her trip out there to help encourage the orphans at the orphanage there in Kenya. Now we need to pray for who's going with her next time. That is what we pray next time, yes? We're inviting ourselves, so Robin needs to watch out. So thank you, church, for praying for Robin. And uh, thank you for not only uh, being on mission here, like we talked about earlier with The Rock, and in our neighborhoods, but also globally. So uh, continue to pray for uh, the orphanage in Kenya, for the Smiths in the Middle East, and then also for Rahman, who we'll see in a couple weeks, coming home, uh, not home, but coming here from Russia. So would you turn to Ephesians chapter 5? While you're turning there, I'd like to alert you to something that you may already know. And if you don't know this, well, it will happen. Because there comes a point in every person's life, and this is usually an adult person, in which they realize, good heavens, 
I'm just like my parents. And, uh, you know, so I heard that my folks would be here a couple days ago. And uh, one of these, I asked Amy, I said, you know, what is it in me that I've said or done, whether it was with the girls or with you, that you just sit there and you say, oh, my gosh, that is such your dad. And uh, one of those, without even blinking, and I knew this was right because I had scribbled it out on a piece of paper when I was thinking about this message. I know this is true because the first thing that I wrote down and the first thing that she said when I asked her was this. If you happen to talk to me or my father and you tell us your plans to go on a nice little vacation or perhaps a weekend getaway to uh, Austin, say, we will gladly and heartily support that. And we will gladly and heartily, heartily and unprovoked tell you, well, what you should do when you're down in Austin. Have you checked out this restaurant? Oh, it's awesome. Then make sure you go see the bats on Congress. And then on the way down, though, I know everybody stops in West, but let me tell you about the Style Station, that vintage store. I got some Beatles rocker boots there. You need to check that out. And all of a sudden, within five minutes of us just, you know, encouraging you in your trip, rather than say, have a nice trip, we will plan your trip, Okay. And so I had this realization that, oh, my goodness, I'm just like my dad. But then I had this other realization when I spend time with my grandfather, who's here, that this is a multi-generational bag, that I'm not just like my dad. I'm like my grandfather. And he takes it to the next level because he was the one that started this whole mess. And he says this, because this man has traveled the globe. He's traveled to literally all seven continents like twice and so this man takes it to the next level because he's been there and done that. And he'll say, well, you can do what you want, but what you need to do is. <laughs> and so this, he won't even like offer a friendly, yeah, go do this. He will say, here's what you've got to do, person. And so I realized, oh, my goodness, I'm just like my dad. And you've probably had this moment, too, where you realize even in spite of them, sometimes... You are just like those who've gone before you. And a lot of it's genetics, sure, okay? A lot of it's genetics, I get that. But I think mainly it's influence. It's the air you breathe, the water you swim in. It's, the, it's just the culture if you've grown up with your parents or whomever you've grown up with. Or if you're the teenager, like your parents used to say, it's not just you are what you eat, but you are who you hang out with. I mean, this is just a truism, and so one of the things that Paul is getting at in this very gnarly and really just laid bare, straight up kind of text is a lot of, hey, I understand you came from a culture that was opposed to God and his ways. I understand that you've been influenced and you were of a certain kind of father, shall we say, and you have been in a way of behaving like father, like son. And Paul calls that way darkness. But Paul reminds us in this very bare and bleak and straight up passage that I've just been thrilled to talk about, especially with my parents here tonight. But he tells us in this bare passage, guess what? That was your culture, but now you have a new culture. Guess what? You had a father, but now you have a father who is good, and he has shown light into our hearts. And so really the focus of this passage that is going to tell us all about the kind of old way of culture we need to put off, the key is that we would put on and live out the way 
and culture, as it were, of our Father who is light. The key verse in this passage of Ephesians chapter 5 we're looking at tonight is found in verse 8. And he says this in Ephesians 5 chapter 8, before we kind of walk through at the start of it. Let's look here on the screen. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then these words here, live as children of light. Once you were darkness, once you were genetically disposed to darkness, once you were following like father, like son, darkness, you were going with the flow of the culture. This is so much what Ephesians is about. But now, look what he says, and we'll talk about this more in a minute. But he says, you're not just light-like. He says, you are light. So live as children of light. Basically, live like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. There should be a moment for the follower of Christ when they realize that what they say comes to a point where they say, oh my goodness, I'm just like my dad. And that should be words of life and righteousness and light for the Christian. So we're going to see these sins of the tongue that Paul reminds us, hey, don't act like that former way of life in darkness, but live as children of light and your voice should sound like father. But then he starts the passage with these sins of the body. Hey, once you were darkness and you were going with the flow of the world in a sex-saturated culture that says anything goes, your body is your body, and just go for it and have a grand old time as if it doesn't affect you internally or affect others in your life. Hey, I should just go with the flow. No, live as children of light, like father, like son. Honor yourself, honor others. So he says these sins of the body, he says these sins of the tongue. And then in the middle of our passage this evening we're about to read, you're going to see some really stark warnings. These are very hard words for many of us, for many of our ears. We're going to look at these warnings that say, this is serious business to live as children of light. Because the darkness that you had lived in was a darkness that led you to death. And even though you can live as a child of light now, that darkness wants to creep back into your life and so easily entangle you and draw you astray. So he warns these people, hey, this culture you came from, it is not one that produces life. It results in death and judgment. It's stark. It's brutal. It's gnarly. And we're going to talk about that too. So at the end of our passage, you're going to see that verse again, to live as light because you are light. And then he says not just to live as light, but to in fact shine on darkness that others may, watch, be called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, like we read earlier in 1 Peter. So that's where we're headed. But the trick here, the big picture, the big idea, the focus statement is that Christians who are light should live as light. Okay? So let's get into it. I'm going to read the whole passage and then we're going to circle back around, okay? Let's look beginning in verse 3. These are those sins of the body. And remember last week, this is after, hey, by the way, be imitators of God in Christ, okay? So he's going to expand that walking as followers and dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love. Here's how. Verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality 
or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Again, especially in these first two verses, you're going to see this, hey, don't do this, but here's why. It's not just like your dad or mom that said, hey, because I said so. Don't give yourself over to sexual immorality. Why? Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Why? Which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Then here's these warnings. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, this is the here's why part again, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's the ultimate why. So live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Or really, everything that's illuminated, you could say, is uh, exposed or revealed. Everything that's illuminated is, is light. Light is shined on it. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So first, these sins of the body. How do we live as children of light? How do we do that together? And he starts to just lay it bare, earmuffs, but we've got to talk about it. He's going to talk about sexual sin that was so much a part of the culture of their day. Is sexuality a big part of our culture today? Everyone nod your head yes. And if you don't believe me, drive down Interstate 30 and just look at the billboards. If you don't believe me, I'll be that guy that just turn on your TV, right? I mean, this is just so pervasive. And you know what? In our culture, it is such the air we breathe. Many of us, if we're not careful, if we're not having light shined into our lives, we don't know the water we're swimming in. And the truth is, our culture today is not necessarily that everything is so much worse This is just like the culture of the Ephesian Christians in a part of Asia in the very first century. Thousands of years ago, they lived in a sex-saturated culture as well. So Paul is writing to these Ephesian Christians who've come out of a culture very much like ours where sexuality was rampant and men had all kinds of uh, excuses to go and be faithful to their wife, yes, But also you could have this on the side, this, that, or the other. And even there is many pagan temples. And we've talked about in this church in Ephesus, there is a big temple of Artemis that would have been like the Cowboys Stadium, their huge landmark on the freeway. And Artemis, so much of her worship, because she was the god of fertility, they even merged sexuality with religion. So it's not as if we can say, boy, look at our culture today. Yes, it's saturated with sex, but so too was theirs. So Paul's words are very much for us today as they were then. And they're very much for people of light 
to say, hey, you should go upstream, not with the flow. Just because sexuality is pervasive, it should not be pervasive in Christ, in the church. Look at what he says. But among you, here's the what, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. So sexual immorality or impurity is kind of blanket statements for anything that is sexuality outside of God's design, which is man, woman, in marriage. And so God's design is that people would become one in marriage, and they would become one in a relationship that's not just a physical relationship. It is a oneness that extends to the deepest part of us. God himself in Trinity is in relationship. It's not a sexual relationship, of course, but it is a relationship of intimacy. There is not one moment in all time in which God has not been in community, Father, Son, Spirit. And so marriage is, is this kind of um, way of being in community in such an intimate and self-giving way. And so when we're talking about sexual immorality or any kind of impurity, you're going outside of that relationship and it becomes a self-receiving kind of relationship. Sexual immorality becomes this way not just of adultery outside of what God has intended for husband and wife, but it's even before you're married to go and have this oneness outside of that covenant relationship. And so a lot of times when we talk about sex, we're simply just talking to the teenagers trying to control their hormones, or we're talking to the married people as if it's just a way of saying, you know what, married people... Everything, every problem is solved. You know what? Because you're married and you're allowed to have sex. So typically when we talk about sex in the church, we're either gearing it to the teenagers that say, hey, don't, or we gear it to the married couples and say, hey, well, you guys are okay, right? Because you're married and evidently you're not bringing in any kind of baggage, are you? So everything I should just assume is okay. But that's, our sex talk has to go beyond that in the church. Because the reality is, I think we need to admit that because we've lived in this culture, we're all sex sick. And when we look at this next part of sexual immorality or impurity, he says there must not even be a hint of this. It should not be named among you. Because the sexuality that we have to admit is that we're all sick with this culture where we're bringing in baggage even into our relationship with one another within the church. Now the church is typically, if we're not just talking to teenagers or married people to say, hey, go have sex and pretend that everything's okay, we need to cultivate a sense that we've inherited wrong ideas about sex. We've inherited now in this culture uh, uh, more availability of sex and pornography than at any time in history. And so with pornography, we've got to know in our church that we shouldn't just limit the conversation to this, don't do this, it's yucky, and it's only for marriage. We need to tell single people, we need to tell uh, young people that this sexuality is something that is a gift, it is something of God, and it is best expressed in marriage. And when we have the availability like pornography, we need to understand that one out of every five mobile searches now are for pornography. So we live in a culture that is sick with sex where marriage isn't just going to fix it because married people are still accessing pornography. And so that's why I think he, he, he adds this idea of greed into here because he says there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. 
Well, why would you name greed after that? Because there is something hardwired into our culture with sex where we are greedy for more. So when pornography and sexuality is so readily available, there is closely tied to that the drive behind it for more. If sexuality is most healthily expressed in a marriage relationship, now we have a culture in which we have it in our pockets at all times available to us in mobile devices. We have kids growing up in the culture which says now nine out of every ten boys will be exposed to pornography before the age of 18. And the average age by which they're exposed to pornography is age 12. So we live in a culture that is giving us all kinds of inroads to act on these ways of sexuality and immorality and impurity. And it's happening at alarming rates and it's driven by a desire for more and more and more. And there should not be a hint of that. And here's why. Because we are a community that's called to be imitators of God and to give and to sacrifice and to love. And so our sexuality should be one that's not marked by greed or a desire for more or to look beyond these realms. And it's not designed even in marriage to be something we withhold. It's not designed in marriage to be something that we uh, demand. There has to be this healthy, life-giving community in which we can be one with one another that goes beyond our physical ways, but we can see the fullest potential of sexuality in a way of knowing and being known. And that's the kind of community in sexuality that we should be a part of. But we've all got uh, to realize that we're in a culture like Father, when we were in darkness, we become sick sons and daughters in sexuality. And Christ has redeemed that. And we should be a community where this kind of mess is not named. And it's not simply because we're prudes. It's because these things bring death. These things, even pornography, rewires our brains and it shuts us off from the kind of intimacy in life that God has for us. And so these things must not be named. There must not even be a hint of this. Effectively, if you feel this rising up, if you're called back to that place of darkness, nip that in the bud because it wants to overwhelm you. And I can tell you, that it is something that is debilitating, but it is not something that can take your life if you are in Christ. Because the light that he's given you, and even as a single person, there is light there to bring you into full community, into full relationship, and to heal you from that sickness, that sin that seeps to creep back into us from our former way of life. These things are improper for God's holy people. We're separate, we're set apart, and we should be a community, even when it comes to sexuality, that's not just giving to the poor, but giving to one another in the way that God designed. So he says to put off these sins of the body. Live as father like son, as children of light. And people of light do not go into these things of darkness that he's mentioned later in the text when it comes to sexual sin. So the next thing he goes on to, we'll come back to greed here again in a moment, but the next thing he moves on to in verse 4 is these sins, sins of the tongue. So there not only should be this sexual immorality, there should not be obscenity, foolish chalk, or coarse joking. And this could be closely related to that sex stuff. Just like that, not just doing it, quit talking about it. 
Our churches should not be a seventh grade boys locker room in which we're high-fiving and talking about this crude and coarse jokes. And it sounds again like, well, that's just being prude. No, it's about being God's holy people who are realizing that our actions proceed from a place of the heart, from a place of the mind. And the more you talk about it, the more you feed on it, the more it becomes more and more like the culture of darkness and we're to live as children of light. So put off the obscenity, that foolish talk, that kind of joking. Now, you can joke, okay? All day at The Rock, we painted and we joked. But there's a way of joking that leads to just folly. And this is what Paul's after. That coarse joking is kind of that double entendre or making sex jokes to be sexual and gross. And the same thing is that we will typically not try for addicts. We will try to remove triggers from their life. If we have dinner with an alcoholic, we are not going to offer them alcohol. But when we're talking and joking in such a way, I think we are opening the door and why Paul says not even a hint of this, nor should there be any of this, because that kind of talk can bring down our brothers and sisters who are struggling to live out that healthy expression of sexuality. And it's a way of kind of letting that darkness creep back into us. So there should be no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Well, why, Paul? He says they're out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And so the question for us is, what characterizes our speech? Are we like the seventh grade boy in the locker room? Or is our speech characterized by those things that are thankful, gratitude, things like father, like son, living as children of light? You know, I think about, again, something, a verse we looked at in Ephesians, if you're writing it down or flip back to Ephesians 4.29. This verse is really an expansion of that, where Paul tells us, that um, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What characterizes your speech? Have you thought about how thankful you are? If you were to make a list of how much thanksgiving you say or how much negativity you say, which would win? I've had to check this. And we talk about fasting as a great spiritual discipline. Well, what if we fasted from negative talk? We've started fasting from coarse joking and obscene talk. I've had to fast. I told you a couple weeks ago, man, I've let curse words slip out like it's not it's nobody's business. And it's one of those things where say, oh, well, man, you're a grown man. But I find myself with two toddlers and a world that's looking to me as a pastor and one who is light. And I'm thinking, well, how is my conversation building others up? Or is it a way of just picking away and say, well, he's just like one of the other guys. And so it's not a sense of legalism, but it's a sense of how am I called to live as a child of light? So it takes work to put these things off. It takes a renewal of the mind. And this stuff is serious business. And so he says these warnings for these people that if we continue in this darkness and not in the light, he says, of this you can be sure. This is the motivation for these tough passages. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. So he's basically giving that list again of those people that he had mentioned earlier. Basically, if you are a person, if on your business card it said your name, and you are persisting in these activities so much to the point where on your business cards it says your name and greedy person, 
If it says your name, immoral person. If it says your name, person who's doing all kinds of sexual, sexually immoral and impure things, you can be sure that you are following more in the way of darkness and less in the way of light. Now, can people who are in Christ slip back into these patterns? Yes, which is why Paul is warning us, hey, these things are so prevalent in our culture. Don't slip back under those chains that you've been loosed from. So he gives this warning. Hey, you can be sure of this. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. Then he's going to define the greedy person. What does he say? Look at it. Such a person is an idolater. Greed is something that worships the thing. Greed has a name for the God it worships, and the name is more. The people who want more, more, more are people who say God is not enough. Can we live our lives in such a way where God is not enough? Can we live our sexual lives in such a way where our spouse is not enough? Yes, but God help us that we would live as children of light. And this is so serious in a warning that he gives to these people. It's similar to other warnings in the New Testament. But he says, these people don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. These people don't have any inheritance in the present reign and rule of Christ, which is one of life and light and self-giving love and humility and sacrifice and blessing. They have no inheritance in Christ's present reign and rule. Why? Because they live a life that is about taking and feasting on darkness. And so they also don't have uh, a place at the end of the age when Christ hands that kingdom back to his father. When the kingdom comes in fullness, these people will not have a say in this present kingdom or in the kingdom come in fullness. Which he talks about when God's wrath comes. Which is another very tough passage. You can see why I was just thrilled to preach this. But we've got to because this is the word of God. And here's what he says in verse 6. Earlier he said, for this you can be sure. Now he says, hey, and if this stuff is hard to swallow, please don't let anyone deceive you with words that sound nicer to your ears. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. This is something we don't talk about a lot in our church, God's wrath. We're people who say God is love. And you know what's true? God is love. Through and through, God is love. Simone Weil, who is a philosopher in the beginning of the 19th century, she said, God is love like an emerald is green. It just is, okay? God is love. Everything that God is begins and originates from a nucleus, a centerpiece of love. So when God is just and he's giving people what they uh, deserve, when he's lifting up the widows and orphans and oppressed, he is loving. When he is taking down the humble that they may see that he is God and he is there giving them life, he is loving. When God is gracious and giving us what we don't deserve, he is loving. When God is wrath, he is loving in his wrath. And that may sound strange to our ears, but the reality is at the end of the age, when the kingdom comes in fullness, there is no place for the kinds of immorality and sin that wreaks havoc on our emotional and physical bodies as well as those of others. There's no place for these things. And God's wrath will come 
and make an end of it. And Paul doesn't get into the particulars of the how, but the reality is, even the God who is love, it will grieve him, but he will wipe the slate clean and purify the new heavens and the new earths in that he will be all in all and there will be light that penetrates all the darkness. And we can talk offline about my thoughts on all of that, but I've already talked for a while and we've got a little bit of passage left. But the reality is, these people, the living this way is not your true self. We are to live as children of light, our child of God's self, live in that reality that these things are leading to death, but God, he's not just bringing wrath on people. We need to remember who we are in Christ as children of God, and I'd ask you to point back or write out if you don't have it. It's not on your screen, but we need to take this warning with a spoonful of sugar in Ephesians 1 verses 13 to 14. You may behave like darkness, but make no mistake, if you are in Christ, he says this, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. So if you heard it said, all these things that lead to death, but when you heard the message of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So if you read this verse and you are afraid... And if you read this verse and you can say, Jesus, I'm yours, you're all I've got. I may not behave the way I ought to behave. If you are his, you are his. If you are his, you are sealed, signed, and delivered one day to God. He continues on. This Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. There may be wrath for those ways of disobedience, but there is also life to be had for God's children to the praise of His glory. You know, my first job was, uh, I think this, well, this may have been my second job. I worked at a Christian bookstore, and I was the kind of kid in the Christian bookstore who was, um, let's just say, a little too big for his britches when he'd read some of the Christian books. And uh, I would think I knew something because I read this book. And, 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 and what I was all about was, you know what, we are just sinners. We're just worms. And man, praise God for his grace, but we can't do anything right. And I remember at the cash register, I had a conversation with a beautiful old woman who had loved Jesus for a long time. And she had said, you know what? And she like looked at me in the eye. And I don't know what it was on my face that made her say this. But she said, I want to tell you something. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. And I said, well, uh, you mean like St. Francis or something? She goes, no, you're a saint. Who you are right now, little 16-year-old you who drove your Jeep. Wrangler, 1988, with no air conditioning. You are a saint. And I said, well, hold on, ma'am. I've got all kinds of teenage hormones and sexual immorality, and I'm sitting there saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And she says, no, no, no. If you are in Christ, you're a saint. And I said, okay, what do you call somebody who rides a bike, a motorcycle? They're a biker, right? Well, what do you call somebody who sins? A sinner, right? I'm a sinner, woman. I'm sitting there trying to convince her I'm a sinner. 
And little 16-year-old Adam is holding court over the cash register at this bookstore right before I'm closing. And I'm getting in the throwdown convincing her that I'm a sinner. And she's convincing me that I'm a child of God in Christ and I'm a saint. And what defines me is not my sin. What defines me is my father. And I should live like father, like son, which we circle back to that passage that we need to keep before us. He says this, you were darkness. You were darkness. We'll come back to verse 7 in a minute. Let's look at the next verse 8, please. You were darkness. You were a sinner. But now. We looked at Ephesians 2. You were dead. But the most beautiful word in the Gospels, in the epistles, is but. This is who you were, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. Well, what does it mean when, what does it look like when I'm living in light? Because so much of what I'm living seems to be dark. I seem to keep doing these things. Well, the fruit of light, it consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. But what happens, God, when I'm living my life and it seems like everything I touch just kind of crumbles and it becomes light? I still feel like a bad person. No, you're a child. You're a son or daughter. And the work that I'm doing in you is a slow work. And the work that I'm doing is restoring the sickness that you've inherited from that culture. But you're alive. And would you see yourself through the eyes of the Father? Would you see yourself as one who is not the person you were a year ago? Even the you who was in Christ a year ago. Oh, well, I don't hear God. I don't feel Him. I'm far from Him. He's still there. He's still at work. Because when you're adopted, you're adopted long term. Even longer than death. Because when wrath comes and wipes the slate clean, you will persist in life. Because Jesus said to all those who were lost in darkness, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You are not what you do. You are a child of God. You are not a slave to your sin. You're a slave for Christ. He is yours and you are His. Live in that reality. And see in the slow burn that you are living in such a way and you will see that fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And you persist in verse 10, he says, to find out what pleases the Lord. So much of our sexual and and speech kind of sin, as I said earlier, originates from our mind. You get out what you put in. That's what Jesus says. If you're constantly feeding and saturating yourself in these things, you're not going to say and do these things. So find out what pleases the Lord. This is a way of saying renew that mind. Ask God to cleanse that, to get some Brillo pad and scrub that stuff. Find out what pleases him. It's kind of the opposite of what we looked at last week. Rather than grieving the spirit by acting again in darkness, find out what pleases the Lord and live as children of light. He said the fruit of light are all these things, right? So then he says, have nothing to do with the fruit less deeds of darkness. Because dead trees produce dead fruits. So have nothing to do with deeds of darkness. Do you remember verse 7? We kind of skipped over it earlier. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds. And one of the ways we can do that is found in verse 7. Don't even partner with these people of darkness. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Adam. Wait a minute, St. Paul. 
Are you saying that I cannot have friends who are living in a way of darkness? Can I not have friends who are doing deeds of darkness? Absolutely not. The way of partnership is a way where, like I said earlier, when your mom and dad says you are what you eat and you are who you hang out with, why, if you are in Christ, join yourself so closely together? The language here is like business partners. You're shaking hands and you're walking in lockstep together. Why would you partner with that person in such a way in which you are going to find yourself drifting further and further into darkness? He says don't partner with them and have nothing to do with their deeds. But I'm here to tell you this have everything to do with loving them and shining light as you walk with them. Do you know, I mean, so many people, the dearest people to me, don't believe that God is real, much less believe Jesus who is who he says he is. Do you know that I see them, talk with them, but do you also know that I pray with them and for them? Not with them, but I pray for them. And I am so crazy enough to believe that I'm praying that light would shine into their hearts and they would see God for who He is. And I'm praying and entering into this mystery, this mix of divine intervention that will not force Himself on these people. I'm entering into a mix of divine intervention and free will and I'm begging, watch, that God would draw them to Himself, that He would draw them like a moth to the flame that doesn't consume them but gives them life and watch, I can be an answer to that prayer in how I live with them. So, do not walk away saying, well, forget this, we're all going to make us a little Amish community because we're kind of Anabaptist anyway. No, you go because guess where light is needed most? In the dark places. So it's to live in Christ is to live out what the gospel says is true. Saint, light, not sinner. And life in Christ is a call to be who God says we are. Be who you are in Christ and be with others who are in need of the light that is shining into hearts. We've got more verses to talk about, but I don't want to talk about them right now. I think we just need to sit with that. I think we need to pray in such a way for those people who are lost in darkness. I think we're going to end our time here. And I think we're going to think about those who um, need the light and truth of God, who are darkness, that they would be light. I think we need to pray for those of us in this room who are so tempted and easily entangled by the kind of sexual sin and the sexual culture that is trying to draw us away from the path of light and love. Perhaps they're, we need to repent. Perhaps if... You, after you pray for others who are lost in darkness, you may need to pray that God would also cleanse and restore you. He wants to so badly, and He already has on the cross, because those sins have been paid for. But He wants you to live as one in light. So who in your life is living in darkness? Pray for God to shine on them, in them, and can you even imagine, could you even imagine that person? where God's light is shining through them. It is so hard in my mind's eye for some of these people I love. So maybe you just start with, God, would you just shine in them?
and maybe help my imagination to believe that you can actually change their life and someday shine through them. But for now, we pray that God would shine on them. And then we partner with God by shining and living as the light we're called to be. So let's pray. And uh, perhaps uh, we'll give a moment before we take the bread and the juice. They'll play and lead us in a song. And would you just take a moment to think of those people who are lost in darkness? And would you think of those ways of darkness that seem to want to creep back into your life? That Christ would shine on them and give you the strength to live as the light you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these difficult words because it is your word. Thank you for the truth that we are in Christ. And that's regardless of how we feel. If we're yours, we're yours. So help us live from that reality, not a reality that is not true. Not a reality that's counter to who you are. So help us, Lord, as we pray for those who need you. And help us, Lord, as we need you to repent and to come back into the light. For in the light there is forgiveness and truth and freedom. So we ask all this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the blessing of light be on you, light without and light within. May the blessed sunlight shine on you and warm your heart till it glows like a great fire so that the stranger may come and warm himself at it and also the friend. And may the light shine out of the two eyes of you like a candle set in two windows of a house, bidding the wanderer to come in out of the storm. Go in peace.